Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know where we're at all week long. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. So if you have your Bible, just open up there. We're going to jump into it. 2 Corinthians 5, all week long. 2 Corinthians 5, we're just going to be in two verses tonight. We're just camping in two verses, and that's verse 16 and 17. Last night we heard the gospel, the good news, that God took the initiative to save sinners to himself. He paid the debt that we could never pay for ourselves, lived a life that we could never live, and he chose willingly to die for our sins. And we could never repay him for the great debt that he paid for us. But, but he gives this gift of salvation freely. And we know that Jesus died and was resurrected three days later, ultimately defeating sin and death. Then and there, done for. Our confidence is in Christ because of this. But another thing that happened a little bit later in church history is the, the, the night of Pentecost. And, and during this time, that's when the promised Holy Spirit came down and indwelled believers. Christians then had, had the Holy Spirit had God living inside of them. We Christians have God living inside of us because of that day. So when we're talking about the gospel, when we're talking about the good news, did I leave my water bottle up there? Dang it. Um, when we're talking about the good news, it's not just a noun. Thank you so much. It's not just a noun in that what we're saying is, is something that we know about. It, it's not just things that we've heard a lot of times. We, we could recite it perfectly, maybe. It's not just that. But the gospel actually transforms our lives the way we act, the things that we do, the things that we say, the words that we preach to others, everything is different because of the gospel. The gospel transforms. So tonight in 2 Corinthians 5, we're just trekking along, continuing on where we left off. And we're just in two verses, verses 16 and 17. And so I'm gonna read these verses, kind of break, uh, break down the text, pull from the text, and we'll go from there. So just follow along with me if you have your Bibles, starting in verse 16. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I think immediately we read that and a few questions kind of stick out, especially in that first verse. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Well, what does it mean to regard someone according to the flesh? And then it goes on and says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Well, what does it mean to regard Christ according to the flesh? And, and why does that matter? We'll kind of flesh that out tonight. But first, let's start with prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for tonight. God, thank you for your self-revelation through scripture and that we may, as a privilege, get to know you through your word. God, it is an encouragement. It is something that builds us up as believers. So God, would you speak through your word tonight? God, at best, at best, my words can reach ears. 
But God, we know that it is your word that pierces hearts. So God, would you help us to see your word in a new light? God, would you help me to just allow your word to speak, to have its way? It's all about you, God. So would you just give us a heart to, to, to be open to what your word says? Ears to listen. And God, in everything, may we just point all praise and glory to you. God, it is all about you. Thank you for your gospel that transforms. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the text? Help us to understand what's being said. Give us peace and understanding when we go through your word every day. So God, would you be with us? Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, that first verse... We're talking about what does it mean to regard someone according to the flesh? Well, if we look at verse 16, that fourth word there in verse 16 is the word therefore. And if we're good Bible students, what do we do with the word therefore? Look it up in the dictionary. They, almost. (laughs) No, with the word therefore, we find out what is the therefore, therefore. Ah, I didn't come up with that. So we're not left alone in this process, but we keep reading. So what's said right before these verses, I'm looking at specifically verse 12 and then verse 15, just the verse right before we're at tonight. In verse 12, Paul is defending his call from God. And he says he's doing this so that you, Corinthian church, you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. And then in verse 15, it says that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So in both of these verses, there seems to be a contrast. There's two people being described here. In the first one in verse 12, it's, it's someone who boasts about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. And then, and then on the opposite side, the, the other person is, he is boasting about what is in the heart, namely what Christ has done in his heart. And so outward appearance, not what is in the heart, then what is in the heart, deep contrast there. And then in verse 15, again, there are people who are living for themselves. And then those who, for, who, who no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's a contrast in both of these people. But we use that to understand our text for tonight. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does it mean to regard someone according to the flesh? Well, simply it's to regard someone according to worldly standards. What does the world say about them? What does the world value and and see in them? And it could, and I could, I'm not denying this. It could be talking about what someone looks like physically, their physical appearance, how they present themselves. It could, I'm not denying that. But what I think in in a greater context of 2 Corinthians 5, I think what's being communicated is, is to not regard someone according to what they do or what they have done. And, And the crazy thing about this text and what we're reading is, this is coming from the Apostle Paul. And I don't know if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, but Paul used to be named Saul and Saul was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious leader in the time. The Pharisees were the number one opponents against the message of Christ. 
Saul would have grown up in this world. He would have grown up majority of his life studying the law, what we know as the Old Testament. This is a very religious guy. He knows the answers. And people are looking to him, looking to the Pharisees and thinking, wow, they are so righteous. If only I could be like them. People are looking up to them, praising them. That, that's Saul. And we know through scripture that it was the Pharisees that were constantly trying to trap Jesus in his words, trying to accuse him of, of saying something wrong so that people wouldn't follow him. The Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat a threat to everything that they have known, that they have studied, that they knew well. Saul's part of that. And, and this didn't stop at the crucifixion. It, it didn't stop at even the resurrection. No, it kept going. We know from scripture that Saul was a persecutor of the early church. And, and when I'm talking about persecution, I'm not saying Paul lightly made fun of early Christians. I'm not even saying that Paul didn't invite early Christians to his house or, or let them go to things that he was going to. We're talking about Saul persecuting the church. We're saying Saul was murdering Christians, killing the early church. We know from scripture in the book of Acts that in the stoning of the apostle Stephen, not only was Saul there to witness it, but, but scripture implies that it was actually Saul who made the call for that to happen. Same guy. And so for Saul, someone who, who's grown up in a religious world, he knows everything. He, he is attacking the Christian church saying, I want it wiped out. I want it done for. And I'm going to do everything in, in, in my power to stop the message of Christ. And he did. And, and he was killing Christians. And, and that would have been his life. That would have been his story, what he knew. But God had other plans. If you know the story of Paul on the road to Damascus, when Paul was going to continue persecuting the church, mind you, it, it didn't like slow down or, or phase out to continue murdering Christians on the road to Damascus. He had a miraculous encounter with the living Christ and everything changed. God revealed himself to Paul and everything changed. We know his story that Paul became an early church leader. He planted churches. We, we have scripture here in which Paul himself wrote a vast majority of the New Testament letters. Same guy. And so when we read these words of Paul, th this is a bold, bold statement to come from someone like Paul. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's a bold statement. <laughs> Unless God had done something inwardly in Paul's heart. You see, the early church could have done one of two things with the person of Paul. They could have said, this guy, that's the guy who's saying he has authority from Christ to preach the gospel. He hates the gospel. He hates the message of Christians. He hates everything that we're about. That's the guy? That's who you're saying is, is planting churches? Yeah, yeah, no, sure. The same guy who, who killed my brother last week, the same guy who took my parents away from me, that's the guy saying he's all about Christ. They, they could have disregarded him. He, he was a direct enemy in their eyes. This guy's an enemy of the cross, the enemy of Christ. Why would we listen to him? They could have done that. And that would have been regarding Paul according to the flesh. They could have done that. 
but we know, of course, that they didn't. But they saw Paul as a new creation because of God's work in his heart. And so we read Paul's words here, and it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What Paul is saying here is, is I did this once. I once regarded someone according to the flesh, but I did it with the worst person that I possibly could have. I did it with Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. See, for, for Paul, when he was still Saul, he, he was a Pharisee who just saw Jesus as just man. And if Jesus was just man and not God man, that makes all the difference. See, to, to Saul as a Pharisee, regarding Christ according to the flesh simply just means not holding him as deity, not holding him in your mind as God, as Lord. And that's Saul's story, and that's what he's saying here. To, to him, Jesus would have been a troublemaker, a blasphemer, someone who's claiming the authority of God. And in his eyes, he would have been a problem to Judaism. And that's what Paul thought. But, but let's even flip this and say, what if Paul regarded Christ according to the flesh in the best view possible? In the best view possible, if Paul regards Christ according to the flesh before he's a Christian, before any, any salvation took place, before any transformation took place, at best, Jesus was a good teacher. At best. But we know that's not, Paul didn't even think that. And so Paul used to, used to regard Christ according to the flesh. Jesus was just man and he wasn't God. He wasn't author of salvation. And, and we can see that so clearly how that manifested in Paul's life before that road to Damascus. So what does it mean to regard Christ according to the flesh? It's to not hold him as deity, to not see him as God. But what Paul's saying here. In this first verse, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Longer. Paul is saying here that because of the work of Christ in his own life, he no longer sees people according to the external. No longer to what we can see and what we can experience. He sees everyone as an eternal soul. I think as Christians, sometimes we get into this mindset of, we forget that Christ died for other people. And what Paul is saying in these verses is see past it. See past it. We now regard no one according to the flesh. And so regarding someone to the flesh, even, even in a good sense, let's look at the life of Paul. It could be someone who has grown up in the church, knows all the answers, very religious. Paul's saying, I see past it. I see the heart. I'm concerned with the heart. But then on the flip side, someone who's clearly in sin, Paul saying, I don't see them as, as dirty or filthy or, or for even what they do. I don't see them as their sin. I, I see them as an eternal soul where their heart is. And that's what I care about. This is Paul's passion right here listed out in verse 16. I think in our lives as Christians, we all know people who are just so clearly not walking with the Lord. They might even, if you ask them, they might even call themselves Christians, or if you ask them, they'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in God, yeah. No, yeah, God knows me, he knows what I'm doing. We're good, me and him, we're good. But you know this person. 
and nothing about this person's life says, I'm a Christian. Maybe this person is all about partying, drinking, getting drunk, hooking up. Life is all about them. They're living for themselves. And sometimes maybe, maybe sometimes they come close and you're just like, oh man, if only it just clicked. They're so close, I wish it just clicked. But then they always go back down. And for you, it's hard to have faith. It's hard to continue on praying to God. God, what are you doing? God, would you show up in this? Lord, I'm losing faith. I can't, I can't keep up. You care about this person. You've, you've prayed for this person. You've brought their name up at youth group. You, you know their lives. But man, they just keep going back. And it seems like there's no hope for this person. They're too far gone. You can't keep trying. There's just no way. But that same person who we're talking about is the same person standing on this stage looking right back at you right now. I had no chance. <laughs> My story is I, I grew up in a home not Christian at all. I didn't grow up with the Bible. I didn't know anything like that. In fact, I grew up in a home where alcohol was very present. Drinking was everything. It was a way of life. That, that was an experience on both sides of the family for generations. And, and it was the same for our family immediately. When I was around eight, um, my mom passed away. And I have an older brother, he's about five years older, and we didn't have a great relationship with our dad. He's, he's a nice guy, um, but he didn't really parent us. So what that meant is we kind of just took care of each other. Whatever each other needed, we were there for each other. So it was kind of like me and my brother versus the world. We were highly independent. It's how we grew up. But my older brother was my idol. <laughs> he was my everything. Everything that he did, I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be him. I wanted to copy him. He was everything to me. He was my role model in, in a sense too. But what that meant is when he started following the ways of our family or even following the ways of the world, so did I. But the difference was I was five years younger. I was a little kid getting into all of these things. At fifth grade, first time drinking alcohol. By eighth grade, regularly drinking. Freshman year of high school, struggling with adolescent alcoholism right away. Couldn't go without it. And that was my life. That's what I grew up with. That's the people I surrounded myself with too. That was the, the course of my family. When my brother was in high school, he was the man. You know, he, he was good at football. He was good at drinking, good at partying. Um, man, just well-loved by his community and just a crazy, crazy party legend. So many stories about that guy. And him being five years older, what that means for me is when he leaves high school, I'm moving into the same high school and now it's my turn. And now I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna do it bigger. I'm gonna do it better. This is my time to shine. And I wanted that. Honestly, my whole life up to that point had been training for this. Life is about me. I'm gonna show people what it is to, to, to live this out, to be a product of environment. And that, Lifestyle continued throughout high school, just a lifestyle of debauchery, partying, drinking, all that, all the way up until my senior year of high school where I ended up getting arrested and put in jail for minor in consumption, battery and assault, and false identification to an officer. 
three charges, one night, 17 years old. At this point in my life, I was, yeah, absolutely addicted to alcohol, but I was regularly using cocaine and I was addicted to cigarettes. 17 years old, mind you. And you might think, oh, I see where this is going. That Matt hit rock bottom, he figured it out, he got his life together and he started becoming a Christian. No, not at all, um, almost the opposite. When I got out of jail, in the lifestyle that I was living and the people that were around me, now I'm saying, I'm about this. I have a reason for what I do. You can say you love drinking, you're all about it. Well, I went to jail for this. This is my life. This is what I'm about. And so life after that just got crazier. Every time just going deeper and deeper into that lifestyle. And that's what I was all about. It was all about making memories. Life was all about me. I thought I ran the world. People were just living in my world that I, I can do whatever I want in. That continued after high school. I was living with different people, still living in that same way. And that would have been my trajectory. That would have been what I would have done my whole life. It's what I knew. It's what I grew up in. But God had other plans. And on April 16th, 2019, I got back to the house that I was staying at. It was our party house in high school. And I didn't know at the time what it was, but I just felt the need to drop down to my knees and pray. And I did. And I prayed for about two hours and a lot of it was in silence. A lot of it was questioning. Like, I, I don't know what, what to do. I, I always go back to this lifestyle. And for the first time, someone who thought so, so highly of themselves that I ran the world, it was all about me. For the first time, I felt tiny before a giant God. And God humbled me. And, and I, I finished that prayer that night and I thought to myself, oh, that was cool. <laughs> you know, that, that felt good. But I'm going to wake up tomorrow and do the same things. I, I'm surrounded by everything I struggle with, but that was, that was cool. But I went to bed that night and that the next morning, like a flip of the switch, darkness to light, everything changed. Everything was different. For the first time, things that I've, I've been struggling with forever, all around me, so easily accessible. And not just accessible, the house that I was in at would have encouraged those things. It would have been weird if I didn't engage in those things. For the first time, I had no desire for them. Things that I was physically addicted to, gone. And I didn't know what was going on. I was by myself. I, it wasn't at church camp or, or even in a church, but I, I, I was just riding with it. But what was happening in those moments is, is God was changing my heart, changing the desires of my heart, my, my very self, my inner being. And, and for someone that night, just God picking up this fragile, frail little boy who thinks he knows everything, thinks he runs the world, picking him up and saying, you think you know, you think this is it. You think this is it. But man, what I have for you is, is so much greater and, and life goes on from there. That first week I, I picked up a Bible and I started reading and I absolutely fell in love with the word of God. It was transformative in my life. For someone who, and I say this respectfully, for someone who, who grew up kind of without parents, again, my dad is a nice guy. 
but sort of without parents. This book was everything. It showed me how to live. For the first time, I understood my sin. I saw my sin. I saw the sin of the people around me. I saw the sin of the world, and that was crazy. Life made sense. There was clarity in life. Everything changed. Only God. I, I can stand here in front of you guys today and, and say that from that day, I've not taken a sip of alcohol. And, and I don't say that to you so that you're like, wow, Matt really figured it out. He got it. Good job, Matt. No, <laughs> hear me in this. If that's what you're hearing, you missed it. I could have never, ever done this on my own. No chance. I had no way. Everything in my life pointing to anything but Christ. And here I am. Only God can do that. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is strong language. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It doesn't say a better creation, a, a more improved creation. It says new, entirely different, new creation. The old has passed away. That means it's dead, gone, not coming back. The old Matt is dead. <laughs> Praise God. He is not coming back back. The new has come. But my story goes on. That was, that was about three and a half years ago. The work of the Holy Spirit is still in my life daily. I'm still a sinner. <laughs> I can stand here and tell you that. I still sin. I am not perfect, but I'm different. God made me different, not by anything I did, but by His grace and His grace alone. Let's look at that verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you write in your Bibles, I would recommend underlining the word anyone. Because what that communicates is this verse is not just for me. It's for you too. I stand here and I know that my story is not everyone's story. You might have abstained from more sins than I have. Good job. But this verse is for you. And that first part, when it says the old has passed away, that means it's done because of the work of Christ. It's done upon the cross. The old has passed away. But that next phrase, the last part of verse 17, is in the Greek is in what's known as the perfect tense. And what the perfect tense is and what it communicates and, and why it's important is the perfect tense is saying that something happened, an event happened, but there's lasting effects moving forward. An event happened, but lasting effects moving forward. So a good way to communicate this text is to say, the old has passed away. That's done. That's taken care of. Praise God. The new has continued to come. The new has continued to come. That's daily. You now learn how to no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. That's daily. Hear that verse. But I don't, I don't mean to be rude. I don't. So seriously, hear me in this. But I do want to push you. Some of you, I think, still 
regard Christ according to the flesh. If Jesus is just someone that you know, maybe you know a lot about, but if he's just a figure, maybe a historical figure, maybe even a good teacher, and he is not Lord and God, would you just come talk to us? Talk to your counselors, talk to your youth pastors, talk to our pawns, talk to Jordan, talk to me. <laughs> you just heard my whole story. What the heck? Am I going to condemn you or something? I can't. I'm the chief of sinners standing on this stage before you. I can't condemn you. I've experienced much grace. And so if, if that's you, if I'm speaking to you, I am not saying that you can't question these things. Figure out what it is you believe and why do you believe it? Search this book. Search the scriptures and see for yourself. But man, we would love to walk alongside you in that. But for the rest of you, believers, this is every day. Why do you feel guilty? It's because God made you different. You are now learning how to live how he made you to be. That's daily. Fast forward in my story, when I became a Christian, I, I, I knew I had to throw my old life away. I, I moved out of that party house. I moved into a house with someone who was like a spiritual mother to me. I got rid of, I deleted all social media, got rid of my iPhone and, and just kind of left everything. I left my old friends, people I grew up with. And, and one of the people I left also was my older brother. And, and that's been hard. <laughs> we do not have a great relationship. See, for me, I, I am no longer who my older brother wants me to be. This is someone that I drank with regularly. We were, we were so close. This is who I did all these things with. When I was young, we would go to bars and clubs together. And my brother would go in, in front of me, scan his ID, and then toss it behind his shoulder. I'd pick it up and then use his ID right after him so that we can go together. That, that's who I'm talking about here. Someone who I engaged in all these things with. First Peter 4.4 4 says that, that your old friends are surprised when you don't engage in the same debauchery that you used to and they malign you. Maybe you've experienced that. That's exactly what I experienced with my older brother. When I become a Christian, I, I come to him and say, I don't want to do those things anymore. I want no part of it. My lifestyle in a way is sort of offensive to him. See, my brother still lives the way that I used to live. And we have a hard relationship. We've had a lot of hard conversations. But I still love my brother and there is still hope for my brother. I recently got married. What are we at? Nine weeks? Yeah. Praise God. Recently got married. And before the wedding, Hayden and I were talking and just figuring out like, would we invite my family? Would we invite my older brother? And you might be sitting there thinking like, why would you not? He's your family. But my older brother is an aggressive alcoholic. <laughs> and sometimes it is physically difficult to be around him. And, and so we, we talked through it, we prayed through it. And we came to the decision that yes, we would invite my older brother to our wedding. And we didn't tell him that it was a dry wedding so he couldn't prepare beforehand or whatever. Uh, but he showed up and, and we didn't really talk with him much. Um, so I, I never knew what he thought of it, what, what his feelings were towards it. Um, 
but he texted me a few days after our wedding and I just want to read some parts of it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is from my older brother. He said, um, I know we didn't get to talk much at the wedding, but I just wanted you to know how extremely proud of you I am. And not just for the wedding, for the man you have become. You are my younger brother, and yet in many ways I look up to the man you are. I know our relationship is weird because we used to be best friends and now just seem to be related, but I still want you to know how much I love you. You are on a path that will bring success. I'll be honest, it was very hard for me to lose my best friend, but I always knew it was for the best. Your faith is astounding and God has truly changed the very nature of you. I just had to accept that the old you is gone, but what is left is this beautiful man of Christ. My brother is not a believer. My brother doesn't even believe in the same God as me, but did you hear what he said in that text? Only God can reveal that to him. The reason my brother can say something like that is because he knows me. He knows I could never have done it on my own. But according to him, unbelieving brother, God changed the very nature of me. So why is it important that you're a new creation? Well, elsewhere in scripture, it says that unbelievers see your good works, which are really Christ's good works through you and glorify God. My brother doesn't believe in the same God as me, but he knows it can't be anything but God. And so we continue to pray. There is still hope for Stephen Wolf. There is. Let's read that again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know what this verse doesn't say? It doesn't say, therefore, if some of you are in Christ, you are a new creation. No, no, no. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It also doesn't say the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you feel like it. It doesn't say that. It says, no, believer, if you're in Christ, if you have repented and turned from your sins, you're positionally in Christ. He is your savior. He is your God. You are a new creation. Believer, act like it. Do you believe this? This is not Matt's words. This is God's words. It's not what I hope is in here. You are a new creation. Act like it. I want to go to one last place and then we'll close. If you would turn with me to 1 Timothy. That's a little bit past where we're at. 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter one, this is again the words of Paul. This book is a little bit later in Paul's life. Starting at verse 12, Paul says, 
I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's story. This is the words of a man redeemed by Christ. But we could, we could get in our mindsets of Christians. Now we so often do. And we could have regarded Paul according to the flesh. But if you regard Paul according to the flesh, there's no way he would have been an early church leader. No way. Regard Matt according to the flesh, there's no chance he would be on this stage before you right now. Nothing, nothing was in the books for that to happen. Nothing was leading him there. But Paul wasn't too far gone. Matt wasn't too far gone. That person that you're thinking of right now is not too far gone. You, you are not too far gone. But God has taken the initiative and saved sinners like you, like me. And that changes everything. This, this is the gospel that transforms. Let's pray. Father God, you are glorious and gracious. God, thank you for shining your light upon us. Thank you that we sinners were dead in our trespasses and sin. God, and maybe in many ways we had no chance, regardless of the sins that we've engaged in or abstained from. But God, you took the initiative and you saved sinners to yourself in which I am the foremost. God, I had no chance, but you had other plans. God, would you help us to trust in your sovereignty, in your plan? God, you are powerful. Lord, I pray over these students. Just a, a reminder that if they're in Christ, they are a new creation. It's time to start living in that. God, thank you for your word that pierces hearts. Thank you for your word that it is truth. And, and it is what it says. God, thank you that the old has passed away and the new has continued to come. God, we can't do anything apart from your strength. Thank you for your word. Pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit differently tonight. From here, when we dismiss you, we're just going to ask that you leave in the discipline of silence. So just staying silent, even if there's like a bear or something, I don't know. Unless there's emergency, not talking to each other. Straight from here to your tents, and we're going to have a night of confession. And in a safe place in our communities, confessing to one another where we have acted like that old man like that old person who seems to just keep coming up. And so this is a safe place. Your counselors will, will lead you in this time. But from here, there, there's no snack tonight. This is what we're doing. You'll hear one conch, and that's the lights out, quiet in camp, a conch. And so counselors will leave this time. We'll go straight from here directly to tents, and you are dismissed. <laughs>